One of the things that we uh, learn, we talk about learning lessons in life. One of the lessons we learn in life is that things that seem easy may not be once we get into them. Um, you know, that little task that you can get done in 10 minutes on the way to something else and that suddenly becomes several hours. Sometimes things are much bigger than we realize when we get into something. Last week we looked at a man who um, Oops, slides aren't right. Okay. Um, last week we looked at a man who um, <clears throat> thought he was going to ask Jesus a simple question. I have a hunch he was already focused on what he was going to say after Jesus answered his question. The problem was he got a lot more than he bargained for when um, he asked Jesus that simple question. Last week we looked at Mark's, uh, Matthew's version of it. The story is included in three of the four Gospels. Today I want us to look at Mark's version of it because there's some things added for us that um, I want us to notice. Um, starting with verse 28, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Notice that noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important one? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, I want you to notice before we go on, and this is just some interesting Bible trivia that I think is rich background. What Mark adds for us is that first phrase. Matthew didn't record that for us. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That is also out of Deuteronomy. But what he's really saying, what Jesus is saying, and if you dig into the words, what he's really saying is, listen up. It's not a word of, oh, here, O Israel. It, it, this is a word of an officer who walks before his troops and says, pay attention. Listen up. This is when your boss walks into the room. I need to let you all know this is what we're going to do today. And you have no question, should I pay attention? Should I listen? Because of who's speaking and the way they're saying it, it's like, whoa, this is important. Well, that's the word that Jesus uses there and says, okay, this nation of Israel, pay attention. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Now here's the thing that I ran across this week. I'd never heard this before. I was reading a commentary. When, you, when I read that, the Lord is one, it's like, okay, that's a reference to the Trinity. One God and three, I get that. That's not what Jesus was saying. If you look in context, what's that matter? That we have one God about loving him. But there is another meaning for that the Lord is one. And that meaning is the only one. The only one. And so then if you read what Jesus is saying is, pay attention Israel, Jehovah is our God. Jehovah is our only God. Only Him. Therefore, love Him with all your heart, mind, and soul. And that makes that next phrase that Jesus says and why we love God with all our heart, mind, and soul so much more important 
Because we have decided God is our God and he is our only God. Therefore, we need to love him with all our heart, all our mind, and all our soul. Because God is our God and he is our only God. Oh, we saw last week that Jesus didn't stop there. This is where you got to be careful what you ask for. The scribe said, what's most important? And he thought he had his answer because Jesus said, okay, here it is. The number one commandment, love the, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. But Jesus doesn't stop there. In verse 31, he says, there is a second commandment. Very similar, just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. While you're loving God, you also have to love your neighbor. There is no commandment greater than these two. There is a second commandment. And it's so important to God, I think that's why Jesus didn't stop with giving just the first commandment. Because for God, we have to hear that second commandment. And that's what I want us to look at today. Why was it Jesus wouldn't stop with the first commandment? I think most of us would have expected him to. Why was it Jesus said, this second one is so important for you to hear, I can't stop. I can't let you only hear the first one. You need to hear the second one. I think it's legitimate we ask ourselves, why does God care so much about my neighbor? I mean, after all, have you seen my neighbors? Have you seen, you know, I think we all react at sometimes about some of the neighbors around us, whether it's where we live in the neighborhood or the people who work around us, the people on the ball team with us, whatever it is, why does God want us to love them? Well, why does God want us to love him? What did we look at last week? We looked at the fact that our, God's call for us to love him is actually to love him back. And that that's why he so much wants us to love him, because he's already in love with us. That's why Jesus came. And who are any of us the most desperate to have people love us back? It's the people we love deeply. And if they don't love us, those are the ones who, who break our hearts, because we love them so much. And that's why God's first priority isn't all the rules that he's written. His first priority is that we love him back because he loves us. And why is it so important to God that we love our neighbors? Because God loves them just as much as he loves us. Turn over to 1 John. I want to read a couple verses and then keep your finger and then we'll read another one. In verses 7 and 8, and this is the section that we read in, earlier in the worship service. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Stop there for just a second, and then we're going to read another verse. 
If we love God with all our hearts, minds, and souls, if we keep that first most important commandment to God, what John tells us is something else is going to happen. And in fact, it's unavoidable. We are going to start seeing the people around us differently. And that love of God is going to change our perspective, our values, how we see them in such a way that we're going to start loving them. And John goes so far as to say, if that isn't happening, if my perspective on my neighbors, whoever they might be, if my perspective isn't changing, then I haven't really gotten to know God and I haven't really fallen in love with him. Because his love is so powerful. It just overcomes who I have been and it will change me if I let it into my heart. John gets even more radical in verse 20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. John's sort of practical explanation is there's a real litmus test of my love for God and that is God's children in front of me because I can see them. I can touch them. And maybe before I knew God's love, what I wanted to do is touch them and punch them. Or slap them. Or knock them down or tell them to get out of my life. Because I didn't like them for all kinds of reasons. They were a nuisance neighbor. They were a, a pain in the rear neighbor. I mean, ooh, anyway, bad people. And that's how I saw them. But if God's love starts to come into my heart, then my perspective changes. Has to. And I start to treat them differently. So who is this neighbor that Jesus says, it is essential that you love them? What are we talking about? Who are we talking about? Well, in the third gospel that we haven't looked at, the gospel of Luke, when Luke includes this same story, this same question, the questioner adds another question. Slow learner. And he says to Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? And I think he's trying to get off the hook. Can I make this pretty narrow here? I'd like a short list, Jesus. Who do I have to love no matter what? And of course, that's where Jesus tells what has become the famous story of the Good Samaritan. We won't read it this morning. It's in Luke 10 if you want to go home and read it. But Jesus says, well, to tell you who is your neighbor, let me tell you a story. And he tells of the story of this man going out in, out in the country on a road. And he is fallen upon by robbers and he is beaten, robbed, and left for dead. Right there along the road. And he's laying there in pain. And these two very religious, holy people who say they love God. They come by and they don't want to get involved. And they just walk on the other side of the road. And the implication of at least one of them is he's probably on his way to church. Well, the temple. And then Jesus says, now there was one, a third person who came by. Now he was a Samaritan and you need to pick whoever in your value system and culture is the most disgusting person you never want to think good things about. That's who the Samaritans were, the Jews. 
And this worthless person, who you would never want to pay attention to as a neighbor, they're the one who stop and help the wounded, robbed person. And actually go to great extent to help this person. Even take them to help and offer to pay for their medical care. And says, I'll return. If there's extra medical care, I'll cover that too. And Jesus says, now who was the neighbor? And of course, his questioner has to admit, well, it was the one who helped, the Samaritan. But my point today isn't to debate about or talk about the Samaritans. What Jesus was trying to drive home, I believe, to answer that question, who is my neighbor? It is the one who is in need. It's not the one who looks like me. It's not the one who's on my short list of people I like or people I would like to be nice to. My neighbor is the person who is in need around me, the opportunity that's placed in front of me where I can touch someone's life. Now, if you think very long about what Jesus is saying there, and if I'm correct in understanding the the parable of the Good Samaritan, then I think we should respond and say to Jesus, whoa, whoa, you don't know my neighbors. Because we all have a list of people, if we have a short list of people we'd like to be nice to, we all have a list of the people we don't want to be nice to. In the neighborhood, it could be that house down the street where there's always screaming and yelling and slamming of doors and cars zooming off in the middle of the night. Or maybe it's that house around the corner that you really are convinced could be a meth lab. There's that neighbor. Or if it's not in the neighborhood, maybe it's that person who works beside you who never gets their work done and you spend half your time doing their work for them. And you've had it. Or it's that person from at work who never stops talking about their own life and their own issues and their own problems. And they're driving you absolutely crazy. Or it's the kids at school in the next locker who are so mean to you and just constantly tear you down. Or the kid who's the jock and so arrogant They treat you like dirt. We all have those lists of neighbors, don't we? And our human response is always, God, you want me to love them? Come on. And so how do we deal with that? Well, oftentimes we just create our short list and say, I love my neighbor. I love these eight people. I like them. And I love them. And look at all I do for them. Or we just quit reading after, verse, after the first commandment. And say, well, I know Jesus said something else, but I'm focused on the first commandment. After all, it was first. So I'm really busy trying to love God. And we somehow justify it in that way. Or as I was challenged a couple weeks ago, If we go really fanatical, we get real compassionate in volunteering. And obviously not that that's a bad thing. But we go film meals at Feed My Starving Children twice a year. Or we work in Family Promise a couple times a year. Or we go do something at an elementary school. Or we give blood. 
and we say, see, I, I'm helping my neighbors. And that is helping our neighbors. Please hear me. That's no, none of those. We need to do those things. But there is a greater need that we're missing if that's all we're doing in loving our neighbor. And that's what I want you to see today, the need we're missing. Now, we all have our situations that we complain about, don't we? And there's a list of those. The, the government, politicians, how our schools are broken, uh, the, the, the drug dealing and, and, and the, the opioid epidemic. And you could add, uh, we could spend the rest of this time just adding to that list, couldn't we? And how, what is our next response? Somebody needs to fix those. The government needs to fix them. The schools need to fix them. The police need to fix them. The social workers, I mean, we go on and on. For every problem, we've identified who should fix them. And it's always somebody else. The problem is, is that working? It's not, is it? Let me read a quote for you. This was a mayor in Colorado meeting with a group of pastors. And this was his, his statement. This is a, a major city around Colorado Springs. The majority of the issues our community is facing would either be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. As a city mayor, the majority of the issues would be fixed or reduced if we could become a community of great neighbors. That's what we're missing. And it's not just Colorado. I was blown away in January. I went to an hour workshop. And there's something that I wasn't aware of happening in our state that just makes this exact same point. There is a new initiative in our state. It's called Safe Families for Children. Now, first, let me tell you why it's happening before I tell you what's happening. Our social services in the state are overwhelmed. The number of kids who cannot be at home, the homes are broken, the kids are either homeless or they're whatever. They're living in terrible situations, but this has reached such epidemic proportions that the state cannot handle it and it sees it cannot handle it. And what blows me away at the state level and on down in every county, it's so desperate. Do you know what their conclusion was? Our only hope is turning to the Christians. It's the only way we see that we can solve this. And so forget the dividing of church and state. Forget kicking the Christians out of government. We've got to go to the Christians and say, can you help us? And I was in a meeting in January of the Anoka County director. As we're beginning, they're beginning to roll out this, how do we get the word to the Christians to say, can any of you help us? 
And one story she told broke my heart. She said, I was touching base with kids in foster care, and I found out to see one, I had to go to Lionel Lake's juvenile prison because there were no beds for this girl, so she had to be put in prison as a foster child because there was no place to house her. The system is broken. And for us to continue to think government's going to fix it, it's not working. Why do we think it's going to work in 2018? Unfortunately, we haven't always been the best neighbors. I just talked about that and how we deal with this command of God, love our neighbors. And we have ways we work around that. But at that same meeting where that mayor spoke, the assistant city manager stood up to the pastors and said, I have to be honest with you. From the city's perspective, there isn't a noticeable difference between how Christians neighbor and how non-Christians neighbor in our community. We cannot observe any significant difference. And if we hear that as Christians, it needs to convict us. Remember those words that John said in 1 John 4? If we don't love the people in front of us who we can see, how can we claim that we love God who we can't see? Now, I know what I'm saying is extremely challenging. And my goal isn't to be challenging. Well, I guess maybe it is. But my goal is that we take God's word seriously and say, if this is the second most important thing to God and to Jesus, then it has to be important to me. Now, in the midst of this challenging, uncomfortable thing, Jesus says one other thing. And that is, if you do this, it's actually a blessing. He says there in the Luke version, do this and you'll live. And that's true. It may not feel like it right now when we start con contemplating some of the neighbors on our long list we want to avoid. But I want to tell you that if we start doing this, if you start doing that, there are actually blessings waiting for you. Jesus is right. If you do it, you'll live really live. Find out what it's really like to be a Christian. I ask permission before I tell you this story because I just want you to see how it works at a practical level. Candil DeMars is sitting over here in the back. And Candil is doing this and he would tell you in a heartbeat he's being blessed. I just happened to hear him make, make some comment about what he was doing. I thought, what? What are you doing? Candil is very busy. He works as hard as anybody in this room. He doesn't have extra time laying around. He has a full-time plus job and raising a bunch of kids. But once a week, he goes over to Adams Elementary School, one of the elementary schools that we try and help because they have such a high rate of poverty in the school. 
and he has six fifth-grade boys that he spends a lunch hour with once a week. And he'll be the first to tell you the beginning of the year, it's not pretty. Those fifth-grade boys look at him and are like, who are you? And they are very good at making Candil feel very old and stupid and all those kinds of things. But he kept going back. And he's done this for several years now with a new group each year. And these boys, for whom most do not have a healthy father figure, once a week sit and talk with a, just a guy who cares and who listens and maybe offers a healthier perspective on what those boys are facing in life. And the longer that year goes, what Candiel finds is that he's being blessed and blessed and blessed as he just cares for these boys. And I tell you that not to praise Candiel, although I think he's a model to challenge us all. But I tell you that because what Jesus said is true. Sure, it'll be a stretch for us to go love our neighbors, but I promise you, there will be an excitement in your spiritual life, a closeness with Jesus as you are working with him that you may have never sensed before. Because now you're out with Jesus in the trenches, touching the kinds of people that he wants to touch, the people he loves, the people he died for, though they do not know it. We all have our neighbors. And we need to open our eyes to what that means and what that looks like. I, I am convinced that out of this priority of God, it is he who wants us to spend the next weeks talking about this. And so we're going to begin another sermon series. And I want to warn you right now. Satan desperately does not want us to love our neighbors. And he will give you every excuse imaginable to miss the next five or six weeks of ser sermons. Avoid that. Let's talk together about what does it look like to love our neighbors. And what would that mean? And it'll look different for every one of us because we all have different neighbors. This isn't a canned program. It is a way of living. But why are we doing that? Because Jesus said, you want to know what matters the most to the Father and to me? I'll tell you. Love God and love your neighbor. If you put it in questions it's two questions i showed you this one last week how do i how do i love god more today than i did yesterday and now jesus has added a second one how can i love my mate my neighbor more today than i did yesterday if we live with those two questions this year we will spiritually be different people at the end of the year. And so will many of our neighbors around us. Let's love God. And let's learn how to truly love our neighbors. Let's pray. Jesus.
Jesus, this isn't a feel-good teaching. Uh, we just assume you didn't say it. But you did. And we understand why. And, and you were driven to say it because of your love. Not just for us. Your love for our neighbors. And so we need to ask your help. It's, it's hard what you're asking. But you're living in us through your spirit and you want to help us with your mighty power and we ask for those things. That you would open our eyes to ways we could love our neighbors. I ask this through the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen.